thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslander. This message is from the series Ephesians, Who We Are and What We Do in Christ, and was preached on October 31st, 2021. Hey, we are continuing our study of the book of Ephesians today. And last week, based on, on our previous passage, I showed you the Jesus way. There is a very specific way of life for Jesus' followers. It's not optional. It's not a set of guidelines. It's not just some expectations. It's really based on who we are. We are believers in Jesus, God's holy people, the saints, disciples, Christians, little Christ, people like Jesus. It's what we agreed, the Jesus way is. It's what we agreed to when we said, and I hope you have or you will soon, it's what we agreed to when we said yes to Jesus. Now last week I gave you 10 commands for Jesus' people, dealing with our tongue, our purity, our love, our work, our integrity, talked about how to deal with anger, forgiveness, and more. And in today's passage, Paul gives us seven specific truth commands that help the Jesus way come alive. And listen, we need the Jesus way to be lived by Christians today more than ever. Here's the sad but honest news that you and I need to deal with. Ask a typical unchurched person to describe a Christian, especially an evangelical Christian. And what you hear are words like hypocritical, Judgmental, mouthy, negative, racist, preachy, stubborn, out of touch, old-fashioned, doesn't have a clue. These are the words that unchurched people often describe us with. And we need to change that by the way we live. We need the Jesus way to come alive. So I, I, I want us to play this little game that we played last week. I, I described some groups of people last week, and then you told me who I was talking about. I'll tell you again, I'm not speaking about individuals. Robert Rayner, you got a lot of votes last week. They thought I was talking about you when I was talking about farmers. But I'm going to describe groups of people because I, I want you to see that we do this in our minds. Okay, so... Here's who I am. I'm highly educated, but my handwriting is nearly unreadable. I know words that most people have never heard of. I have a reputation for running late, but I will tell you it's not my fault. At work, I often wear a white coat. That's a doctor. By the description, you immediately knew who I was talking about. Okay? A little different one. I'm in a pickup before the sun is up. I like to get in eight hours of work by early afternoon, although in today's world, because there's a shortage of people like me, I often work much later. I usually wear old clothes, protection from the sun, and a heavy tool belt. Who am I? A construction worker. You know, you, you, you fit the title with the description. Okay? Different type. I have a reputation for lying, but it's just slight exaggerations in my mind. I can be still and quiet 
for hours, especially when I'm around a body of water. Squeamish people don't necessarily like what I do, but if I'm successful, they don't complain by dinner time. A fisherman. You see how it is? You, you, you fit the description with the person. And I want us as believers to be immediately recognizable by words like kindness, integrity, honesty, respectfulness, faithfulness to work in families, cheerfulness, a forgiving spirit, and a deep, deep love for God and for all people. And when that is described, I want people immediately to think of Christians, believers in Jesus, even members of Avondale Baptist Church. Now, after describing those things in last week's passage, then Paul adds these truth commands, commands based on truth, but they're also things that will help us live that Jesus way of life. And I want you to know about it. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 20. Let's stand together as we read these verses. And Paul says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. And like everything Paul has said, there's a lot more there than I can comment on in one message. It's a beautiful passage But I want us to at least get the highlights and understand what Paul is telling us to do. They're truth commands, and and I'm using that phrase. They they are commands based on truth. You know, the whole outline of the book of, of Ephesians, as I've been telling you, is this is truth, this is doctrine, therefore, this is how you put that into practice. So they're truth commands, and the first is that Paul said to walk in the light. Now, this truth is clear. And Paul gave it to us very clearly. You used to walk in darkness. In your years B.C., before Christ, you were in darkness and you did dark and sometimes even shameful things. But they have been forgiven. They have been forgotten. That's no longer who you are. Jesus is the light of the world and his people are to reflect him. And he gave that description, all the goodness, righteousness, and truth of Jesus are to shine in his people. So the command is walk in the light. Be honest like Jesus. Be righteous like Jesus. Be loving 
like Jesus. Keep your word like Jesus. Be compassionate like Jesus. Have integrity like Jesus. Forgive like Jesus. Have spiritual courage like Jesus. Walk in the light. Hey, Don and I collect rocks. Now, I'm not talking fancy rocks. We're not talking gems and minerals. We just kind of picked up this habit. When we go somewhere, we like to bring home a rock that reminds us of that location, and we put it in our backyard around a little fountain that we have. And so in, in, in the last few months, I picked up some rocks from my dad's house after he passed away and brought them home and put them in our backyard. And I was looking for a rock from grandma's house last week, and I kicked over a rock, and you probably can imagine what I saw. Grubs, worms, beetles, and roaches. But much grubbier than all of them are the deeds of darkness of human beings. And we are to be the opposite and shine like a bright light. Now, I want you to think about light. Because I, I want you to be able to diagnose, maybe even put a number on it. How bright does the light of Jesus shine in you total darkness if you've ever been in total and complete darkness no reflection maybe in a cave um there's zero lumens absolutely nothing shining a night light like you might have in your house a night light has about 50 lumens a typical lamp in your home has from 1000 to 1500 lumens a bright, sunshiny day is about 120,000 lumens. Our sun puts out, and I had to look this up, and it's an amazing number. Our sun puts out 35.7 octillion lumens of light. What I didn't look up is how many zeros that includes. I'm not sure, but it's a huge number. Where are you on that scale? Somewhere between 35.7 octillion lumens and the zero lumens of a cave, how much do you shine like Jesus? How often do people comment on your goodness, your kindness, your compassion, your love, your integrity? How often do you make people think of Jesus? Because I want to tell you this, what I really believe one of the primary reasons the church in America is not experiencing revival and though others will tell you differently, we're not. Look at the church as a whole, we're in decline. Baptisms are going down. Church attendance is going down. Commitment to Jesus is going down. One of the real reasons I believe that we're not experiencing revival is that we have way too many nightlights and not near enough bright, sunshiny Christian days. People can look at us and there's, there's a little bit of light, but not enough that it really defines anything. We look a little bit like Jesus and maybe a lot like the world, and our commitment is not different. Our families are very little different from the families of the world. Our morality is not much different than the morality of the world. Our love is so closely defined to certain groups of people that are close to us that it's not really any different than the world. Our integrity is suspect. We're nightlights. And we need to shine like Jesus. And so he says, number one, walk in the light. We need to look, live, speak, act like Jesus. 
Verse 14, the second point, is a paraphrase, not a direct quote, but a paraphrase from the book of most likely Isaiah. The short version is Paul's telling the church, wake up. Wake up. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, if you ever hear me look at someone in church and, and just say Ephesians 5.18, now you'll know what I'm telling them to do, okay? Someone, wake the guy up, okay? Wake up, Paul's saying to the church, and then Christ will shine on you. You're not in darkness anymore. It's morning time. It's time to get out of bed, sleepyhead, and get up and live for Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here. My best friend in high school and college and I still count him as one of my closest friends, a man by the name of Ed Litton, by the way, he's president of the National Southern Baptist Convention right now, had a problem getting up in the morning. We went to school at Grand Canyon, then college, now university, but we both grew up in Tucson, and we had jobs in Tucson on the weekend, so we'd go home on Friday afternoon, and we'd work on Saturday, and then we'd go to church on Sunday morning, and we'd work on Sunday afternoon, and then I would pick him up at his house at 5 a.m. on Monday morning in time to get to class at Grand Canyon up in Phoenix. And often, when I got there, he was still in bed asleep. Usually what would happen, I'd get over there some minutes before five. His mom would have at least coffee on, if, if, if not something else. I didn't drink coffee back then. Um, so she'd give me some juice or some eggs or, or something, and Dad, Harry, would go down the hall and wake up Ed, and then um, he'd come out kind of, you know, wiping the sleep out of his eyes and pushing his hair back, and, and then we'd carpool up to Grand Canyon. I remember this day. I got there, sat down. Harry said, I've tried. The boy is still asleep. It's your job to wake him up. Now, I loved what he did. Because as soon as he did this, I thought, this is going to be fun. He gave me a metal garbage can lid and a baseball bat. I'm serious. I didn't make this up. He gave me a metal garbage can lid and a baseball bat, and he said, you go wake him up. Well, I knew where his room was, so I went in and opened the door quietly went right next to his bed, and bang, 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 he woke up, and I had fun. <laughs> but my question is, what will it take to wake up the church today? Because a baseball bat and a metal garbage can lid won't do it, though I was tempted to try it during the sermon. Because what seems to be happening in America today is the American church seems to be partially asleep, sleepwalking, and talking in our sleep, but talking about everything but the gospel of Jesus. We talk politics, we talk masks, we talk vaccines, we talk race, we talk the economy, we talk laws, we talk government, all of which are important to a degree, but our task is not to score political or philosophical points, but to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, we need to wake up, bang, bang, bang. I should have done it. It would have been fun. Walk in the light, number one. Two, wake up. I'm going to put points three and four together. Point three, Paul said, be careful. And point four is make the most of every opportunity 
And then he said, because the days are evil. Now, every era and every generation tends to think that their era is the worst. You hear a lot of that today. But listen, I want to talk to you a little bit about Paul's day. Because the days were both hard and incredibly evil. How hard were they? I can't imagine this happening. I don't know how to deal with it. About 25% of babies died before their first birthday. About half of all children died before they were 10 years old. Slavery was brutal and very widespread. It's estimated that well over half the world's population lived in slavery. Hunger and starvation were extremely common in all but the extreme upper class. Murder, rape, and theft were far more common then than today. Terrorism and wars killed a much greater percentage of the population in Paul's day than in our day. And in their terrorism and wars, women and children weren't spared unless they were carried into slavery. Women had almost no rights, and they were usually married off by age 12. Almost all governments were totalitarian. Sexual immorality of all types was rampant throughout the Roman Empire. So Paul says, be careful. The days are evil, and sin could trap you like it has millions of others. Now listen, times are different today, and the issues we face are different. But still, it's true. We need to be careful because the days are evil. I've known many good people. I mean, church-going people. I mean... Honest believers in Jesus. I've known many good people who weren't careful and fell into addiction or crime or who messed up their families with a, with a sexual affair or who let anger lead them into stupidity or who didn't guard their tongues and destroyed a relationship or a job or a church or the cause of Christ. And so Paul's saying, be careful. Evil days are all around you. Sin is all around. And, he says, make the most of every opportunity. My grandma, Pearl, taught me a poem. Matter of fact, she repeated it to me numerous times and drilled me on the poem. And I'm not sure that this many years later I can quote it. So I may have to read it. But it made an impact on me. I have only just a minute, just 60 seconds in it. Forced upon me, can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it. But it's up to me to use it. I must suffer if I lose it. Give account if I abuse it. Just a tiny little minute. But eternity is in it. And you can see what grandma was teaching me. Make the most of every single opportunity. This second, this minute, 
this day, this opportunity, this chance will never come again. So do it now. Walk in the light. Wake up. Be careful. Make the most of every opportunity. And point five is a key verse in this passage. Paul says, <coughs> be filled with the Spirit, not with alcohol, not with wine. Now, you might think at first that it is a strange contrast because he hasn't been speaking about wine or alcohol at all. But it's not really a strange contrast if you think about it. Alcohol influences your outlook and your behavior. So does God's Spirit. Alcohol can lead you to do dumb things you otherwise wouldn't do. God's Spirit can lead you to do good things you otherwise couldn't do. So he says, instead of being filled with wine, be filled with the Spirit. One can drag you down, one will lift you up. Now let me give you a warning and a quick note about what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't specifically prohibit the use of alcohol. But it does very strongly prohibit the overuse and the drunkenness that can result. And here's the scary things. Every study that has been done in the last year and a half says that alcohol misuse and abuse and drunkenness has increased dramatically during the pandemic. Be careful. Alcohol abuse runs in my family. It's afflicted several generations on my dad's side. So my way of fighting that is I decided years ago, if I don't take my first drink, I don't have to worry about the 10th. And so that was my decision based on, on how I live because I don't want to be afflicted with that addiction and I want to be careful. So that, that's how I live. But be filled with the Spirit. So a word about the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity that dwells within us and can and will shape our character. We are called the holy ones of God. That can only really be true when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Because though God calls us the holy ones, it is the Spirit within us that leads us to holiness. On your own, on my own, apart from God, apart from His Spirit, there's no holiness in me. It's got to come from God. So I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'll give you some keys in just a couple of minutes when we close on how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the sixth thing, and Paul says this will help you as well, is to sing to the Lord and to others. Verse 19 says, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Listen, our ears, what we listen to, and our tongues, what we speak, has a huge impact on us and those around us. So Paul says, speak to one another and sing to one another and speak to God and sing to God from your heart with good words, psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Now, I want you to understand, this is not a comment on style. Every tongue and tribe and generation 
era has different styles and all styles of music can be good or bad. So I'm not picking on any particular style. If you like country music, then twang Jesus from your heart with words of encouragement. If you like rock and roll, then rock Jesus and good words. If you like elevator music, I don't know. <laughs> Put us to sleep with lullabies about Jesus. Rap, if you like rap music. By the way, some of you will remember that a few years ago at Christmas, I rapped a Christmas song. I'm going to do it again this year with, he left, Jeremy's help. He's going to help me do that this year. I don't know that he knows that yet, but Jeremy and I are going to rap a Christmas song this year. Because um, it's not the style that makes the difference, it's the content. We should speak good words, kind words, encouraging words, holy words about Jesus and the kinds of songs that lift people up and lead us to think good things. So sing songs from the heart that glorify and uplift Jesus and others. And remember, what we listen to and what we say has a huge impact on who we are and is even a reflection of who we are. So Paul says, look, this, this will help. Sing to the Lord and to others. And number seven, give thanks constantly. Verse 20 says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your attitude, our attitude, whether you're looking for the good and giving thanks for it, or whether you're constantly looking for the bad and complaining about it. It makes a huge difference in your life, your happiness, your ability to follow Jesus and be filled with the Spirit. So look for the good constantly and thank God for it. Let me share an example with you from something I just read this week. I'm reading a book, it's an interesting book, it's called Travels with George. It's about the trips that George Washington made when he was president of the United States of America. And then a little background. After the election, George and Martha moved to New York, which was the temporary capital of the United States. Martha was not pleased because after the years of separation during the Revolutionary War, she wanted retire, to retire comfortably to their farm, and she did not like New York. And not many months after being president, um, George Washington decided, I need to get out and see the country and meet the people and find out what's going on. So he left on the first of multiple travels, leaving Martha alone in an uncomfortable situation. I don't know, she said, how to be the first lady and I don't like the city I'm left in. She could have been unhappy, but listen to what she wrote to a friend. I have determined to be cheerful and happy in whatever situation I may be, for I have learned from experience that the greater part of our happiness or misery depends upon our dispositions and not upon our circumstances. Happy people are often happy because they choose to think happy thoughts. Grumpy people are often grumpy 
because they choose to see the bad and they whine and they complain. And Christians, one of our challenges as we get older, because I've met so many grumpy, mean, old Christian men and women, is that we need to look to the good in our families, in the next generation, in our churches, in the country, and stop whining and complaining about every negative thing that happens. And you do so by giving thanks to God constantly. Not just at Thanksgiving time, but as an ongoing, this is how I live, I give thanks. Now these seven truth commands that I've given you today will help you live the Jesus way that we've been talking about in previous weeks. So I hope they help you. But the key command was the one I believe to be filled with the Spirit. For if you were filled with the goodness of God, if you were filled with the Spirit of God, then you will be able to live life the Jesus way. And your family, your friends, your neighbors will notice the goodness and the holiness within you. So how do you do that? How are you filled with the Spirit? You could do a whole series on this. I only got a few minutes, but let me give you first an understanding. God's Spirit lives only in believers. That's the starting point. When you accept Christ, when you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And so if you've not done that, that's where you need to start. By putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit will come into your life. And then your command and your challenge is to be filled with the Spirit. To let the Spirit consume and take control of you. And how do you do that? Three quick steps. First of all, repent of every known sin and bad habit. You have them. If you're pretending that you don't, that's a sin you need to repent of right then and there. I have them. If I pretend I'm too holy to have sins and bad habits, then that's the first sin, my arrogance, spiritual arrogance that I need to repent of. So you need to repent of every known sin and bad habit. It's like getting rid of the bad stuff so you can be filled with the good stuff. Most of you know that I like coffee. It's not unusual because I'll get coffee first thing in the morning and kind of sip it on and off. It's not unusual that by the end of the day, I have a half a cup of coffee in my cup that I usually forget to pour out at the end of the day. And so when I come in the next morning, there's a half a cup of cold coffee with who knows what that was added to it over the course of the night. Flew in, dropped in, whatever. I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't just take that half cup of coffee and go to the coffee pot and try and pour some more hot coffee in there. That's disgusting. That's gross. So I go to the sink and I pour it out and I rinse the coffee cup and then I go get a hot cup of coffee. Got to get rid of the bad before you add the good because no one wants a tepid, lukewarm cup of coffee with who knows what in it. And it's the same way spiritually. You get rid of the bad so you can be filled with the good. Now, it'll take God's help. You'll need to pray about that, repent of that, ask for his help, maybe even get some help. But I love honest people who will say, I've got this problem, I've got this issue, and I want to overcome it. How do I do that? Instead of just hiding it and holding it within and hoping that nobody notices. 
Repent of every known sin and the bad habit. Then you can commit to the Jesus way that we've talked about. Then you can get your hot cup of coffee and the whole cup will be good and it will be hot and it will be right just the way I like it. So you start by repenting of the bad. We don't talk all that often about repentance. It's a very common biblical word. We should, when we have sins in our life that God reveals, we admit it, we take it before God, we ask for his forgiveness, and we ask for him to change us. It's not, I'm going to ask for God's forgiveness so I can sin again. That's not repentance at all. You're just playing word games with God. Real repentance is, I'm sorry I did this. I don't want to ever do it again. Change me. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And then you can commit to the Jesus way. But if you're committing to the Jesus way without getting rid of the bad stuff, you'll never be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then when you've done those, ask, even on a daily basis, to be filled with God's Spirit. It's not automatic. It's something God wants us to learn to do. God, I'm not what I need to be. I can't live the way you want me to live without your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, I've got some responsibilities today that are almost humanly impossible. I can't do them. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. You've asked me to look like Jesus. Honestly, most of the times I just look like Jack. I want to look like Jesus. And I need the power of your Holy Spirit. And so God wants us to ask on a regular basis. Listen, here's the truth. You can be controlled by B.C., who you were before Christ. Or you can be controlled by wine and alcohol. Or you can be controlled by God's Spirit. And Paul's saying, you need to make a choice. Who are you and how will you live? And though I'm not there yet, that's who I want to be and how I want to live. I want to look like Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want you to want the same. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church. If we can help you in any way, please contact us. Our information is on our webpage at abcaz.net or you can call us at 623-932-2723. Thank you and may God bless you and your family.